This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is Most Innovative Companies from Fast Company, where we speak to visionary founders to understand how they think, how they innovate, and what lessons they may have for you and the businesses that you run in every shape and size. I'm James Vincent, a founding partner at Founder. This is a story about introducing the new with the familiar. In the time that I shared with Steve Jobs at Apple, there are many examples of wonderful keynotes that you should go look at, whether it was the iPod, whether it was the iPhone, are you getting it yet? But today I'm going to talk about the iPad. Because around that time, if you remember back, you had a computer and you had a phone, and the phone was doing quite a lot of things, but it was quite small. And there was this question about whether or not we needed a third device at all. In fact, so much so that Steve came on the stage and said, I don't know whether we need a third device. Do we need a third device? If we needed a third device, it would have to be better at the six things that we do every single day. So let's take a look. You can almost imagine him doing it. He went through email, the internet, photos, gaming, video, and in each use case, he did a side-by-side. Let me go do this now. Let me look at my photos. And of course, you pinch it on a large screen. You go, well, I think it's a bit better on this. And oh, email, well, actually, it's better because it's bigger and I can move it around or the internet. Oh, well, that article suddenly bang, right? And so, and you're using your hands, right? And so this brand new device that everyone was kind of like, is that just a kind of bigger touch? Suddenly took on a life of its own. Instead of him saying, oh, there's this new fangled device that you're going to use in some new fangled way, he took the six things that you use the most and gave examples of why this product was better through the familiar. So today I'm going to have a great conversation with Nicola Julia at SoRare, who I think is also introducing the new NFTs through the familiar gaming cards. So I'm excited for that conversation. I'm really excited today to have my guest, Nicola Julia, who's the co-founder and CEO of SoRare. SoRare, it's like Panini gaming cards gone digital, baseball cards gone digital, backed by NFTs, really caught fire in the world's biggest game. For the sake of those people that don't understand, we'll call soccer because it's mostly an American uh, audience, but uh, we understand it to be football, the largest sport in the world. And now, of course, you've moved on to uh, baseball and basketball, and I really want to hear about that. But anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Amazing to see you again, James, and very excited for the conversation. I think it was roughly two years ago that you gave me a call and you said, okay, we've got this NFT thing and I'm a passionate football support. There I go. I'm just going to call it football. (laughs) I'm passionate football enthusiast. And I feel like there's an opportunity to really get people to understand what NFTs are and what the blockchain is through such a simple use case with the world's most popular sport. So why don't you take me through that a little bit, just your inception idea? How did you get to so rare? And, uh, and yeah, why don't we start there? Yeah, no, definitely. So if we take it like very simply, Sorare is a mix between, as you said, like uh, collectible cons and fantasy sports. So basically you can collect 
cons that represent the player you love, and then you can use them in a variety of games. The one we are developing is fantasy inspired. So basically, uh, the performance of the player on the pitch is impacting your performance as a, as a user, as a manager. That's like the, the combination of the two things that makes around what it is today. But if we take a step back, I think it's very exciting for sports fans because they can play all the roles that exist in a sports team. Basically, they can, they are a no-no. Basically, they can make investment decisions uh, on the players. I mean, here the players are on the counts, but they can decide whenever they want to buy and sell player counts. They are a sports director because one of their mission is to detect the talents of tomorrow. They are a coach because with discounts, they can compose teams. They need to strategize and need to define who to put on the field on a given game week. And they are uh, like uh, a player as well. So they, they have these four roles owner, sports director, coach, and player. And that's what also makes the, the, the product amazing. And we are using NFTs, as you mentioned. And I have been in uh, the, the blockchain space or Web3, as we call it, like for seven years now. In 18, we saw this technology with my co-founder and we were like, whoa, like it's going to change the way we own stuff online. Like Web2 was about reading stuff and creating stuff. But it was not possible to own something uh, that is digital, right? Like the web uh, two was not built with uniqueness back then. NFTs are a way to authenticate and secure something digital. And once you have this possibility, it creates an infinity of use cases. And so we we are using it to collect in the sports universe. But there's many many more uh, use cases, I think. On a previous episode, we had Jose from Farfetch, and he uh, he was talking about Web 1 is read, Web 2 is read-write, and Web 3 is read-write-own. And of course, the line that you use is own your game. Exactly. Which was some work that we did together that is seeming to stand the test of time. So as we pull out and think about NFTs and their use cases, one of the things that is so appealing about So Rare is that it's a physical behavior that people understand. I remember going to the local store and picking up the little pack of Panini cards when I was eight years old. And indeed, in America, it it may be baseball or basketball, but that behavior is very much entrenched in culture. Maybe a modern digital version is Fantasy League where you collect players and you're using NFTs not in purely a virtual digital, like I don't really understand my physical human connection with it. You're basing it on something very grounded in culture. And that was always a very strong appeal to me. Is that the inception of the idea in your own mind? No, definitely. I think part of the vision that we have is really to connect uh, the physical and the digital worlds. And so, as you said, like uh, collecting is something that is really physical and the first form of money were shells so like it's it's like thousands of years ago and this is something that we do as human beings to express who we are and uh, to connect with other people and so on so there's many many reasons why we collect and uh, obviously as our lives are becoming digital you know like uh, I, I thought that there's going to be an interest to do that on the web as well so yes that's one thing that helps us to connect with the physical world the other thing obviously is uh, like the sport, right? Like the games are happening in the physical world and we are bridged to better connect with these games. So that's from the physical 
to the digital, but you can also have an impact all the way around because when you own these NFT cards, it unlocks things in the physical world. You can attend the game, you can meet a player, you can access training grounds. So we are starting to develop all those possibilities that are unlocked by owning the card, and that's very exciting as well. So yes, uh, that's the, definitely part of our vision. Oftentimes I get asked, like, what do you think about the metaverse? First, I, mean, I, I don't know what it is. I know I don't know how to define it, but what's for sure is that I don't want a world where, like, we are spending even more time connected, right? And I think one of the beauty of the product that we are developing is that the gameplay itself, right? Like, you don't need to stay in front of the screen. You collect your cards, you compose your team, and then you can go outside, have fun with your friends or do sports, whatever, but you don't need to play in front of the screen. And that's something that's very important to me. I really don't want to contribute to this hyper connection that we are living. I want to help like at least stabilize, if not decrease it. That's fantastic. The single storytelling universe, I think, was a topic we were discussing, which is, you know, you're in the digital world, you want to go physical, you're in the physical world, you want to go digital. And that interaction between those two different worlds, like one of the things I remember about the way you've approached it is authenticity, right? I bumped into Jared Piquet in Stockholm, and he could do nothing but talk about how awesome SoRare was. It really feel like you've gone on a path to build authenticity through players, through clubs, through fans, and you're coming at it through the game rather than sort of transposing yourself over the top. Can you talk to that a little bit? We were very, very excited to build like a product that is inclusive of the, the sports community in general, meaning, as you, as you said, the players, the teams, the leagues at all levels, right? Like, so for me, authenticity is also building something that is not only for the elite players or the elite teams or the elite leagues. Like we, we have 280 teams from Brazil to uh, Ecuador to Japan to South Korea, like to African countries, right? And th- that's the beauty of it. Like you are discovering new people, new, uh, new leagues, new teams, and that's really inclusive. And you don't need to play with Messi, Mbappe, all the top teams, like to be good, right? Like uh, we reward like the scouting elements, the, the passion for the sport. I think that's, that's very exciting. If we get back to the athletes, building something that is inclusive uh, and the players, they are like doing the game, like they are actually like doing it, right? So it was very important to me to get the support and to build something that they care about, that they love. And so we have dozens of football players, but also, you know, the sponsors who invested in the company and who are like supporting it, like from star players like uh, Mbappé or Zidane, uh, more that we're going to announce to less known players. That's, again, very important to us. And we make sure that all the players that support us like uh, are like genuinely love the vision and the product, right? And so like a vast majority of them actually invest in the company, right? I think that's important because you, you want them to be authentic in the way they, they talk about it. And so you mentioned Gerard, it's a good example of someone who has been very active in helping us build the company, basically. Because it's interesting just if we take football, and I'm sure that other sports are the same, in the last few years, it really feels like they've elevated and money, if we talk about football, the English Premier League particularly, and just a whole ton of money coming in. There's six clubs with hundreds of millions of dollars. And even the Super League conversation a year ago really felt like there was a separation. Fans came up out in the street and were like, what the heck? Like, you don't care about us. The fans seem to be being left behind by the money. And this feels like some push 
democratization of their involvement in the game, they're vested in the game, they're owning part of the game. Is that a little bit of the motivation? Yeah, that's definitely part of the motivation to have them part of the game and to have also part of the revenue like flowing back to them. And like, oh, we would we, like to democratize a sport and to make it less elitist. Onboarding all these teams, all, all these leagues, you know, it's building a global product, basically. And sports is about like breaking down racial barriers, social barriers, and having a unique language that everyone can understand. And uh, I think that to enter this community, you don't need to know anything more than your passion for the sport. That's unique. We don't adapt the product, the marketing, nothing like to any country. So that's, I think, one of the strengths of the product. So if I was to compare the two, um, when I was a small child, I'd go to the local news store and get a little pack, right, of panini cards. So tell me about the experience of Sora. Go on Sora. What do I do? First, we have like a free uh, version. So you can start, uh, you know, collecting free cards that, you know, are not NFTs and use them to uh, play tournaments. So compose your team with them and, and, and maybe like win some rewards and progress in the game. Then if you want to enter uh, like other competitions, you can buy NFTs that represent like whatever player or team that you love. Like part of our community is only collecting. So like that's everything they do on the platform, right? But we have like uh, another half that is collecting and engaging with the experiences, like the fantasy tournaments. So with the, the, the NFT cards that they own, they use them to compose a team, right? With like a goalkeeper, defender, and so on. And then based on how the players are doing on the pitch, you get ranked, right? Like, so if you have like, uh, so there's a team of fives, like not, not, not 11. Uh, and so it, like, if your players are doing good on the pitch, you are doing good as a manager and you can win like other NFTs or physical experiences and so on and progress in the game. So that's roughly how the platform works. So. We're here in the States. I'm actually in the World Trade Center in downtown Manhattan. The big news for many of the U.S. listeners from Fast Company is not only have you got baseball, but I think only last week you announced the NBA. So congratulations. Tell me about the NBA story. How difficult was it to switch sports and um, how much were you embraced? Did people understand the concept uh, in the same way? First of all, we want to build like the biggest company in the world of uh, sports entertainment. So obviously going after uh, US sports was big goal of us uh, when we raised our Series B, which was like 680 million uh, uh, late last year. It was a big focus for us. We believe it's going to be huge because again, we are the intersection of two concepts that are very popular in the US, collecting and playing fantasy sports. And so we are mixing this too with this notion of unique, like on your game, basically, like you truly own uh, the cards and you can play them across the seasons and you can resell them freely and so on. And you can do stuff in the physical world, as I said. We believe it's going to be a very, very important market for us. It's already a big one, like top three market for us. We, we haven't done any trade marketing in any part of the world, but by the way, like in the US, but also in Europe. And it's already like a top market for us. So we're going to accelerate. We just launched our MLB product. Uh, we're going to launch uh, our NBA product in, in October or November this year. It's, it's moving fast. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. If we zoom out about Web3 and just think about that landscape, 
and look at use cases. NFTs, blockchain, crypto feels a little bit like it's a very nascent conversation. And it's a little bit of triage going on here. Well, this one's going to go well because so-and-so told so-and-so to buy or sell it. There's not security and stability in this whole area. What I think is interesting here is one of the themes I always think about as you introduce new things is to introduce them through the familiar. The nice thing about your is it's familiar. I understand Fantasy League. I've always collected cards. I love my NBA players and I want Kevin Durant or I want whoever. And so you go to it and you say, oh, there's a digital version of a thing I'm super familiar with. And I think one of the challenges with NFTs is that it's new on top of new. How do you think about the role that you're playing in democratizing NFTs? I think, first of all, uh, when any radical innovation emerges, there's uh, you know, a lot of good actors, a lot of bad actors as well, and a lot of people during the hype that come for the bad reasons. That's hard for everyone. And I, I, like, like the, the conversation the last couple of months uh, has been about NFTs uh, as a space, as a category, as a market, but it's not any of that, right? It's just a technology, right? Because of the lack of compelling use cases, like a lot of them were like only highly speculative. The big question was, well, what's that, right? Like what I do with that and so on. Uh, and as, as you said, I think we are coming with something different. Like we are coming with, uh, like a, true human like needs like uh, i want to connect with my friends i want to collect you know i want to have fun and and, and we, are, we are we are selling them and and the technology is just a mean to this end right and we don't put the word nft we don't market nfts right it's just like the underlying technology that makes sense for the product that we are building right like if you want to preserve scarcity in the digital world you need nfts if you want to enable portability for your accounts and make them usable in different games or experiences this is the right fit if you want true ownership you know and use them across the seasons and uh, even if the game or the company disappears still own it this is the right technology, right? So we want the fans to feel the benefits of it uh, without having to explain the same way that you are listening to a playlist on Spotify. You don't know it's uh, inte- like artificial intelligence that brought it to you, right? <laughs> you're just enjoying some good music and you're, and you're happy with it. And that's the same for, for us. There's a great quote by Charles and Ray Eames, which are toys and games are the prelude to serious things. Gaming is the future of play, as is clearly exhibited by most people's behavior. Hopefully, the gaming encourages more physical play, and the physical play encourages gaming, and the two are connected. I'm aware of my son. He plays a lot of football, but he goes on FIFA at the end of the day when his muscles are tired, and then the next day he wants to play again. And so maybe it's not a surprise that you guys are first out, but if that is true... What might the next use cases for NFT be outside of the thing that you do? Where do you think NFTs go next? I think that anything of value on the web um, at some point will be an NFT if we think uh, long term. If we think in terms of specific use cases or industries, gaming has been at the forefront of innovation if we look in history, and I think it's still going to be the case. I think that... uh, game items needs to be they need to be owned by the the players i think that makes sense right like uh, there's billions of uh, dollars that are being spent every day in games and i think that's crazy to think that again like today 
vast majority of them are not owned by the by the gamers and you know they need to pay them again in the next four season they cannot resell them they cannot move them and we want to help participate change that so i think gaming is going to be important i think uh any industry where you have creators and art is a is a good one it's going to be affected so we saw some growth some traction in arts and i think that makes sense if we think about like connecting with the physical world and, and some collecting as well, like ticketing is very interesting. And we did some experimentation around that, like uh, some of our tournaments, the winners got NFTs representing players, so player counts, but they were also tickets uh, enabling you to go to the game, to the stadium in the physical world, right? So that's uh, an exciting use case and could add, add a collectability layer to the ticketing industry. So I think that's an interesting one. Many, many more uh, audience, but again, like uh, I think gaming makes sense. Anything that is created, like so, like creative industries, like uh, are going to be uh, affected uh, as well. And one of the big benefits for them that we didn't discuss today is like because there's NFTs, you can track the change of ownership between owners. Uh, you can track royalties on the secondary market. So if your creation is being resold, like ten years from here because you are now like hugely popular, you can still benefit from that. You can still collect royalties on the back of it. Uh, and I think that's, that's very interesting and a big, big win for creators in general. We'd had uh, the founders of Patreon who get artists paid. They saw the use case of ownership, whether through NFTs or just some other mechanism um, as the future, which is to ensure that aggregators don't, get in the middle and make the money, but that you maintain your sovereignty of ownership. And you just mentioned royalties, which is, I would buy that, but six owners later, I might still be getting a little bit of royalty from the fact that I bought it first, which is a really interesting concept. And maybe it's going to take a minute for people to get their heads around that. In fact, in art, you mentioned art. It's such a great example. The artist sells it. And then from then on, maybe... They sell it for a million bucks, but it's worth $80 million 10 years from now, but they don't get a cent. Yeah, that's one big use case. Like, uh, there's a lot of artists that get popular like later in, in their life and they don't see like the, the benefits of the early creations. And I, I think that's amazing. Like, uh, if you believe in digital art as something exciting, which I believe is going to be the case because we are getting used to owning things that are digital, even if sounds weird when you hear it first like okay it's not tangible it's actually something that people are getting more and more used not only with nfts by the way yeah well i noticed obviously nike when they bought artifact and then have been creating both digital and physical assets it's been tremendously successful and i think people have related to it quite quickly for me again as as you mentioned when you get into a new category you're looking for those brands you can trust yeah. Obviously, Nike's a brand I can trust. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it right. It feels like your approach has been to go through very legitimate and authentic people in the sport so I can trust you. So how important is that as you build NFTs that there are brands you can trust so that people get involved? It's a very interesting uh, question because I do agree that trust is really central. And so trust can be uh, brought by like very old institutions like the NBA, the MLB or football leagues. The players, as you mentioned, 
in any case, like we are building decade-long uh, relationships with them, and so we have very long-time exclusive contracts. So that's that's very important to us. But trust is also important to be built for us as a brand for Sorel, right? So you need time. So as you said, the company is relatively new, like four years old. And so you cannot pay time, right? So you need uh, to develop acts uh, and proofs that can bring trust, being transparent, moving fast, engaging with your community, recognizing your mistakes. You know, all of this is very important. Uh, we are building games and experiences with an open, real market. As, you know, any market, like you need trust and your community is asking trust. And does part of the trust comes from people in the game the fans, you know, I noticed the NBA president came out and talked about how much were behind this. The Players League came out and talked about how much they're behind this. Players themselves, clubs themselves. That's where the trust comes from, right? Is that it's authentic. Yeah, no, totally. And so, yeah, you mentioned the NBPA and the NBA. So it's, it's a good example. Like, uh, so Serena Williams uh, is a board advisor to us, like um, a variety of social impact initiatives, but she's also, uh, you know, active on the business front. And so we had calls with the president, the NBPA, Tamika, Serena and I, like to help explain what we are building. That has been important as well, like uh, for her to have players, some of them being uh, active from different sports, but we're not only from basketball. Backing us, supporting us, helping us very operationally. Let me ask you a curveball question. How come Nicola from Paris <laughs> is first in NFTs and coming into these massive sports in the US and around the world? I think it's, it's a combination of things. I think the ambition of French fundants is really growing fast. We have an amazing pool of um, technical talents here in Paris, like uh, amazing education and so on. Obviously, like if we if we think about the biggest sport in the world, which is uh, football, uh, it's in Europe and the French national team has been very successful the last couple of years. There's some proximity with the leagues, with their needs. And so we wanted to stand down and I've spent a lot of time on the ground uh, in the UK, in Spain, in Germany and so on, explaining what we are building and how it's going to benefit to the sport in general, the athletes, the team, the leagues. So I think, yeah, it's a combination of uh, all of this that makes it possible. Should I expect you uh, to likewise going to have to spend a bunch of time in the US now um, yeah. promoting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, it's not a perfect split, but spending like more and more time in the US, uh, it's uh, the big goal of the year for us, obviously, like we just launched our MLB product. We are like launching soon our NBA product. It's a lot of launches, obviously, like, uh, different audiences and we need to adjust uh, the way we build the product, the way we're going to talk about the product, you know, to cut on to a market that is different. We believe the fundamental needs are the same, but obviously we need to adapt. So this podcast is all, Nicolai, is all about innovation. If you were to go forward five to 10 years from now, what would you love for people to look back and say, those guys did, what would that be? It's a good question. I think there's, there's, uh, there's yeah, different things. I think, first of all, I would love to reinvent the kind of gaming industry, if it's an industry for good, by giving ownership back to the users of the game items. They spend money, they spend time for things they don't own. And, and so I think that's something that I want to change for good. I want to make an impact in the physical world as well. That's uh, by the 
you know, the revenue that we are giving back to the teams, to the players that is used to educate them, to train them and so on. I, I want to have an impact on people practicing sports in the physical world and more. Uh, and I think that's really important in this world where we spend more and more time connected. Uh, and so uh, we are about to give back also part uh, of our benefits to initiatives uh, that are favoriting like a sport that is helping uh, the practice of sports, that is giving material to young people to practice sport and so on. So that's also something where I want to have impact. It's interesting. If you sort of zoom out, NFTs are very much collectibles. And I wonder how much they move towards community. Because I keep hearing you talking about community. And right now, they're mostly collectibles, right? Maybe a million people have you know, an NFT around the world. Can they build community? And if so, how? I believe that if, if I need to pick just one, I, I would pick community. Because even collecting is a social behavior right like uh you are doing it partly because you want to show it to your friend you want to show it to the world and by the way collecting something digital like an nft card is much more powerful because you can show it to the world like like with physical it's a bit limited to where you are and the people you can show it to i would pick community i think that uh owning an nft a sora nft card is being part of a community of a club you can collect but you can also connect uh you can have fun i would say that's the right umbrella yeah wonderful Nicola, thank you so much for the conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Next time you're in New York, look me up because we're over here. I look forward to seeing you. I hope you uh, enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Yeah, great to see you. Thank you so much, James. So after my conversation with Nicola Julia at SoRare, I'm left with a whole bunch of really interesting reflections on how innovation gets introduced to the world. Here's a guy that introduced NFTs, blockchain, things that people really find hard to get their hands around through the lens of something incredibly familiar. These are trading cards. They're Panini cards. They're baseball cards. They're things that you, your kids, have collected throughout your lives. They're just digital. So I found it a really good use case for innovation when you're trying to find a place to build new behaviors Maybe find behaviors that already exist and extend them, build attributes to them from the digital to the physical. Obviously, Nicola is a huge football fan, soccer fan, and built very authentically with the players, with the clubs. He really did the rounds to make sure that they were authentic. And then he would use the word trust. Trust is super important. Nike being an example of a brand that's gone into NFTs and begun to prove to people that actually there is value and good brands are there and I can trust Nike and I am going to be trusting SoRare because what they did for soccer, they're now doing for baseball and for basketball. I I think uh, in the coming months, increasingly, the US audience is going to feel the impact of SoRare and feel the impact of a thing called an NFT and see the value of it. And then maybe as the next use case comes along, they go, oh, I understand what an NFT is. So why would I be scared of it? There's nothing to be scared of. Really, really good lessons. I love the idea of games being the prelude to more serious things. We learn new behaviors because they seem not trivial, but just easy to do. They're fun things to do. So gaming, in the general sense of the word, has enhanced massive amounts of technological development. Every app that you have on your phone 
has been advanced because of gaming technology. There is just no question, not just gamifying, but the ability to get the technology to you was enhanced because gamers demanded it. I think it's a prelude to a lot of what we're going to see in the future, which is NFTs throughout our lives. They're really smart contracts, and NFTs are literally going to verify the fact that I own it. So Web3 is about ownership, and NFTs, maybe we shouldn't be so scared about them after all. All right, that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to Most Innovative Companies wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And we also want to hear from you. So let us know what you'd like to hear more of. Send us an email at podcasts at fastcompany.com or tweet us at hashtag most innovative companies. You can also follow me on Twitter at FNDR underscore James. Most Innovative Companies is a production of Fast Company in partnership with founder FNDR. We couldn't afford the vowels. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Our sound design is Nicholas Torres. Writing is Matias Sanchez. Alex Webster and Nikki Checkley helped with the production. This podcast was done in collaboration with my wonderful partners at Founder, Stephen Butler, Becca Jeffries, and Nick Barham.